You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan K. Pride, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Last night, President Biden sat down with NBC News' Lester Holt. They talked about a lot of things, including the lifting of mask mandates by Democratic governors. Joining me now is Ashley Parker, White House Bureau Chief for The Washington Post. Welcome, Ashley. Thanks for having me. And a reminder to our audience, we want you to join our conversation. So please tweet your questions and comments to the handle post live. So Ashley, the president agreed, adam- uh, disagreed adamantly in that NBC interview that the CDC and the White House have become irrelevant with their recommendations regarding mass mandates. How is the White House trying to stay ahead of this confusion and re- retain its influence over this continued public health crisis? Well, you're right. He did disagree adamantly, but he also seemed empathetic uh, to the frustrations of of Americans, of parents, of people sort of generally, which is now increasingly bipartisan, do uh, in in different ways want to return to some version of normalcy, whether that's not always wearing a mask or that sort of getting vaccinated and then going about your life. And he did a couple of times say, look, this this is a hard call. Um, and when asked about what those Democratic governors were doing, which is sort of rolling back some of these uh, COVID regulations. Uh, and, and I think he was asked sort of about specifically because of the political blowback, if that was motivating them, he sort of said like, look, there's there's not an easy answer. I really do understand both sides of this issue. And, and he certainly understands all of those frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, they also talked about inflation, and we're not going to talk about their particular conversation about inflation, but bad inflation news for the White House. Um, when those numbers were released yesterday, prices climbed 7.5% in January, the fastest since 1982. How is the White House responding, especially since the mantra had been that inflation will be temporary or transitory? Well, you'll notice, uh, for starters, they have stopped increasingly saying that it will be transitory um, because regardless of what experts, what economists say, uh, regardless of some of the other positive economic indicators, what the White House now fully understands and has internalized is that, at the very least, this is a big problem for them politically. And what matters uh, are what voters feel. Um, It's not just that if inflation is high, that certainly matters. But even if voters just feel that, you know, more money is coming out of their pocketbook every month, that at the end of the month, there's they used to be able to save $50 and now they can't. That's what matters. And that's what's going to have a huge effect uh, on the midterm. So they sort of recognize they need to, A, get this problem under control. And then from a message standpoint, they need to empathize with voters and explain that they understand what this is like and what they're doing to try to get us out of this, rather than sort of dismissing it with a word transitory that most people don't use in regular conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another big item on the president's plate on the president's agenda is Ukraine. Your recent reporting on Ukraine highlighted how Russian disinformation is top of mind for the administration. What is the administration doing to thwart Russian disinformation and misinformation? Well, what we're seeing is a really fascinating strategy playing out publicly that in basically in terms of deterrence, which is one of the things the administration is obviously trying to 
do to deter Russia from invading Ukraine. And they also, of course, have planning if an invasion occurs. But are these sort of information wars that are playing out in public in a pretty stark way that we haven't necessarily seen to this degree before? So you have the United States, you have our allies, including the British, sort of getting information, classified information, figuring out an example of what Russia might do in terms of a false flag operation, so a fake pretense to kind of blame Ukraine and then invade. And then they are declassifying this information and releasing it strategically with the view that if we tell the world and we tell the public, hey, Russia is planning to, for instance, we reported, um, create some sort of attack in Ukraine uh, in with but with Russia uh, citizens or a Russian area or potentially on the border with Russia. And then Russia is going to put out video footage and photos and blame the Ukrainians for the attack that they, Russia, caused. That will make it a lot harder for Russia to pull something off like that. Okay, Ashley, we have to talk about the big story um, <laughs> that you also reported on. And that's tr uh, the Trump records taken from Mar-a-Lago and the existence of classified documents in the trove of files retrieved by the National Archives last month. Bring us up to speed on what exactly the Justice Department is doing. Is it investigating? So what has been referred to the Justice Department by the National Archives is basically the National Archives asked the Justice Department to look into what they believed were very troubling practices by former President Trump. And this includes the ripping, tearing, shredding of a whole range of documents. And of course, that former President Trump left for Mar-a-Lago um, with a number of materials, documents, gifts, including documents that were classified, including, as we reported, documents that were marked specifically top secret that he should not have taken in which the archives has retrieved 15 boxes of. The Justice Department, the FBI so far, has not uh, reviewed this. And it's also unclear what the Justice Department will do and even if the Justice Department decided to take action, how easy it would be to, to meet the bar um, that's required of something like this first, for instance, the Presidential Records Act, which really requires that the person violating the act, which it seems clear uh, Trump did, sort of does so knowingly um, and, and with you know nefarious intent. And, and that is a pretty high bar. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm laughing. I'm the opinion guy, so I can laugh. You are the news side journalist, and you're just reporting the facts. But from where I sit, <laughs> I mean, ripping and tearing. There are reports um, in other places of him eating, other reports about flushing. flushing documents down the toilet. I mean, it is rare. I know we have just a, a few seconds left. It is rare that anyone has been or is prosecuted under for violation of the Presidential Records Act, right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I will say to sort of a, a lay person, and this is not a, a legal analysis, but as you said, a, a, a lay person could very fairly say, well, wait a minute, you know, if someone is ripping documents and then flushing them down the toilet, and as we reported, uh, former President Trump apparently specifically told aides as the White House was getting packed up that he did not want them looking in those boxes uh, and seeing what was in them. Um, a reasonable person could say, wait a minute, this seems like someone who is engaging in, at the very least, something kind of sketchy. Um, but that's obviously not how the legal system and the Department of Justice works. But you have made a, a very fair point of how a lot of 
people very reasonably view this behavior uh, that we're learning more and more about. And you know what, Ashley, because we actually have more time than, than I thought, a little bit more time. How is the White House reacting to or responding to your reporting? Are they, are, are they keeping themselves more than arm's length away from, from what you've been reporting about the previous administration? That is a great question, and I have very much uh, in these past couple of days been focused on the previous administration. But I will say, in general, you know, the Justice Department often does not love to find itself in deeply polarized political situations, which, if they take this up, uh, this would clearly be one of them. But the Biden administration, in general, sort of does keep that arm's length distance from just about everything with former President Trump. They don't see a particular need uh, to engage with him, to elevate him. You'll notice uh, that Biden never calls him by name, even in his January 6th speech, where he invoked him, you know, I think over a dozen times. He, I don't, he never said the word Trump. So this is kind of a very traditional, uh, familiar and comfortable posture for the Biden administration to sort of let Trump self-destruct and implode on his own. Ashley Parker, White House Bureau Chief for The Washington Post. As always, thank you for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too. We're going to keep the conversation going with our Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of The Washington Post, where we'll find columnists Eugene Robinson and Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back to First Look. Good to be here. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, good Good morning, and as a reminder to our audience that you can send your questions now for our guests. Just tweet them to the handle PostLive, and I will see them. All right, all right, guys. Um, we're going to start with Lester Holt's interview um, with President Biden and their conversation about inflation. Well, they're back and forth about inflation, the new inflation numbers. We'll play it, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Back in July, you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the, uh, let's look at the reason for the inflation. And the reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, the lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function, they need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens with the number of cars that were reduced, the new cars reduced, it made up at one point, one third the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up. Uh, like I said, I want to get both, both of y'all's reaction to that, but I'm going to start with Hugh. Well, you're being a wise guy, starting with me, John. John, I, I tell you, I'm going to make a minor inversion into, into Joe Biden land. That, the idea that Lester Holt is a wise guy, I just can't get over that. I've worked with Lester before for years at NBC, did election night inauguration with him. He's like the most trusted guy in journalism, right? And so it was a good question. And then the president strikes me as, as Clint Eastwood in Grand Torino without the humor or the flexibility. <laughs> Gene, your Gene, your reaction. Well, 
Well, I, I mean, it was, you know, what's your definition of, of temporary? So that's kind of a wise guy comment, but I, but Hugh's point is well taken. Yeah, Lester's a nice guy. Everybody knows that. Everybody who knows Lester. And, and um, uh, look, inflation, when you're on the defensive, having to explain 7.5% inflation, you're in a bad position. As I've written, <laughs> and as I keep saying, inflation is political poison. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the immutable rules of politics. Now, in the past few years, a lot of our immutable rules of politics have been shown to be pretty darn mutable. So who knows? But um, you have to, you had better, if, if you're in charge, you had better be seen uh, not explaining why prices have gone up so fast, but explaining what you are doing to bring prices down. Um, you can't do it overnight, but you better be seen to, be, to try, to try your darndest to get those prices down, or you're in trouble. Right. And, and this is another uh, jump ball I'm going to start with here. I want you both to respond to this. But, you know, despite those bad inflation numbers, President Biden has great economics to run on and to, and to talk about low unemployment, record job creation, extraordinary GDP growth. So why do you think, actually, I'm going to go to Gene first, because he actually said this, why do you think inflation spells doom for him and the Democrats, particularly this November? Well, you know, I don't know that it is doom, but it is definitely peril. And because inflation is something that people feel um, multiple times a day, they drive past the gas station and they see uh, the numbers on the on the big sign in price per gallon. They go to the grocery store and they buy milk and they buy ground beef and they, you know, and whatever they see in inflation and experience it uh, in a way that is more powerful than all the good economic statistics you can produce. And that's why it that's why it's dangerous. Uh, and that's why um, uh, you have to be seen addressing what's really on people's minds, because mm -hmm. it has to be front of people's minds. They're reaching in their pocket all day and, and, and they know what they're paying for stuff. Right. And so, Hugh, so it's not possible, you don't think, for the president to say, yeah, inflation's high, but unemployment's low, job creation is up, the GDP is going through the roof. Yeah, th things are good, relatively speaking. You try that, Jonathan, and, you, and people will turn him off after inflation is high. I'm going to get a T-shirt made for my audience. Inflation at home, appeasement abroad, teachers unions first, no border to fund the police. <laughs> Vote Democrat 2022. That's my, that's <laughs> it. And they are going to get crushed, crushed, crushed. Gene, you're <laughs> Come on, man. Well, Gene. Shall we take them in order? Um, <laughs> you know, inflation. Inflation abroad, appeasement <laughs> abroad, um, teacher union first, no border, defund the police. Okay. Okay. Vote Democrat. Um, nobody's, we trying only to, have so nobody's trying to defund the police. Uh, they're giving more money to the police. Wait. Uh, Wait. Nobody's putting teachers unions no. first. Gene has the floor. Gene uh, has the floor. That's not, ha that's not happening. Inflation is happening. You better work on that. I don't see how you could call, you could say there's any anything uh, akin to appeasement going on with the, with the Biden administration being. Uh, 
unusually and and some people would say alarmingly aggressive uh, on uh, on Russia and Ukraine uh, in in the most visible uh, and forward leaning way. Um, and I forgot what what the other one was, but um, no border but, to fund the police. Oh, the border, the border, border is an issue. They need to they need to they need to be seen to be working on the on the border because a lot of people care more about that than uh, Democrats mm -hmm. in Washington care about. It. And Gene has already has already covered the quote unquote defund the police hue. But on this on this notion of appeasement abroad, of course, we're talking about um, the United States and President Biden's stance on Russia's aggressive buildup on the border with Ukraine. You know, I talked to Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Um, about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which has become a flash a, a flashpoint at home and abroad when it comes to dealing with Russia. Let's take a look at the clip, Hugh, and we'll talk about it on the other side. This is a pipeline that Putin desperately wants. He has invested a lot of resources in making it happen. Uh, and the loss of it, should there be an invasion uh, by <laughs> Russia into Ukraine, would be an enormous blow to him. And so uh, it is an opportunity uh, to make Putin think twice about any invasion, among other things that we are seeking to do. And so the president's definitive statement, I think, is incredibly important. And uh, I had uh, dinner with the German chancellor uh, last night, and I am convinced, based upon his statements made there, that he is in lockstep with the United States hmm. on what we'll do if, in fact, there is an invasion by Russia. And so, Hugh, on, on this point, a lot of people were wondering, you know, it, well, not wondering, when the president said out loud at the press conference with the German chancellor that Nord Stream 2 would be basically dead if Russia were to invade, and the German chancellor, while not echoing those same words, you know, agreed with that statement, and then later that night at a dinner at the German ambassador's residence with um, U.S. senators and others, he didn't put any daylight between him between what the president said and the chancellor's own own beliefs. Don't you see that as more proof that the Biden administration is proceeding not you know along the lines of appeasement, but along the lines of standing up to Russia's aggression? Uh, Jonathan, if I say anything right now, and Eugene doesn't verbally say that's absolutely right, can we infer that Eugene agrees with me? Because the German chancellor stood next to Joe Biden when Joe Biden said Nord Stream is done if he invades, and he didn't say anything. So his private assurances to Bob Menendez, which I'm glad to hear about, are private assurances. But in fact, Joe Biden has not deterred Putin. That's because he's an appeaser. Minor incursion is the definition of appeasement. Uh, Afghanistan's collapse in three weeks, and the Post has been doing amazing reporting on that, is the definition of appeasement. The failure to rally NATO to allow uh, the Balts to send weapons over Germany to help Kyiv is appeasement. Sending our athletes with Nancy Pelosi telling them to shut up when they're in Beijing is appeasement. So Eugene hasn't said anything, so I assume Eugene is agreeing <laughs> with me, so we should just go to break. Okay, well, no, that would be a wrong assumption, Hugh. <laughs> I, 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 I disagree. Wow, I Hugh. And in fact, Hugh, you are a you are an outlier on this. I I, I can't believe it. You are because most uh, 
at least conservatives that I have spoken with, Republicans who are who are extreme hawks um, in the Senate, in the House, are absolutely supportive of the policies that President Biden is They're taking on Ukraine, president. which are, exactly. Um, th- you this is a you rare, want to get the minor incursion uh, quotes out, Gene? This is this is the rare opportunity. Minor, minor, everybody's forgotten about minor incursion because, in fact, you look at what look at what we do, not what we say. And what we have done is uh, is incredibly bold and aggressive. And look, you know, he has he has done everything he can to keep Macron on side to keep uh, uh, to, 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 make, to make it make it that that Olaf Schultz can can explain to the German people why there's not going to be a Nord Stream. He's done everything he can to keep NATO together, and in fact, has done a good job of it. And he has been way out in front of warning about. Putin. He's, he's going to try a false flag operation. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Um, it, it has been an aggressive response that I think has unsettled Putin and made him wonder exactly what his next step is going to be. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, you're you're the outlier here. You you can you can you can try to work on that minor you know minor incursion thing. Try to work that for all it's worth. But look at what's actually being done and not what's being said. Time will tell. uh, Time will tell. I I have another topic for us to discuss where I know that we'll all be in agreement. Um, I want to pick back up on the earlier conversation I was having with uh, Ashley about Donald Trump's violations of the Presidential Records Act. Um, Gene, you wrote a piece yesterday arguing that the Justice Department should investigate whether Donald Trump broke the law Talk to us about why this kind of investigation would be an important step for the DOG, DOJ to take. Well, because that's their job. I mean, it seems obvious that there was an intentional violation of the Records Act. Look, any president leaving office is going to um, inadvertently take a, a few things that should have been left. Um, you know, technically, whatever, um, but not 15 boxes after, you know, that you tell your aides, don't look in that box. Uh, you know, I don't want you to see what's in that box that I'm taking tomorrow. Lago. So that, that's intentional. Now, are they ever going to charge Donald Trump with uh, violating the Presidential Records Act? I kind of doubt it. Um, but I do think there ought to be an investigation. More importantly, there should be hearings on the Hill. Uh, the, you know, next week. I mean, what are what, what is Congress waiting for? Why isn't the Government Oversight Committee uh, planning a big hearing right now, including subpoenaing the the White House staff that had to unclog the the, the documents out of the toilet in the residence um, and bring them in and put them under oath and 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 get them to testify? I would watch that hearing. I'd watch it too. I mean, Hugh, come on. This isn't just some, you know, regular, you know, potential violation of the Presidential Records Act. We have now seen at least three stories that mention the fact that Donald Trump ripped up presidential records, um, ripped it, ripped some of them up to the, you know, size of of confetti. Uh, in one instance, eating paper inside the Oval Office, and then with Maggie Haberman's book. Um, she she reveals that um, papers on many occasions were clogging the toilets in the White House residence. 
Why? I mean, the 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 bar for I don't know. I think maybe prosecution is too too strong a word, but the but the bar is supposed to be intent that you have malevolent intent. Why shouldn't I or the American people, given all those things, you know, I just mentioned, not think that Donald Trump had malevolent intent in destroy, <laughs> destroying those documents? Oh, and we left out having classified and documents stamped top secret in boxes that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. Come on, Hugh. Well, they first have to believe the reporting. Now, I do not doubt that there are documents at Mar-a-Lago that should not have been there and on their way back. How do I know that? I ran a presidential library. Uh, as recently as November, I was the president of the foundation at a presidential library, and NARA found classified records in our documents 48 years after the fact, because every president ends up violating the spirit of the Presidential Records Act, but they actually can't violate it because they're president when they take the documents out. They can violate it if they do not give them back. When you're president and you take the documents with you, they're yours and you couldn't actually destroy them. If he destroyed documents, by the way, that's allowed. I know that other people can, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel can, Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor can, but no law can tell the president of the United States he cannot destroy what he wants to destroy in the interest of the United States. He has the classification authority to begin with inherent in his person. But I go back to the bigger story. This happened. I'm sure it happened. It happens with every president. Number two, nobody except Beltway liberals care. Zero, ditto, nothing. And finally, to those making the comparison with uh, Hillary Clinton's server. Hillary Clinton's server was an active information classified matter, uh, machine that could have been and was probably hacked by our adversaries. These are boxes of documents that are static docs that are coming back. It's mm -hmm. just not a big deal. It's interesting. It's funny. It's just not. It's not inflation. It's not appeasement. It's not an open border. It's not yeah, teachers yeah, yeah. union. You it's not COVID running out of control. Hugh, I got Hugh, I got thirty seconds. The idea that no one cares. I mean, we would be we would be talking about President Clinton if no one if no one cared about you know the disposition of of official documents. But anyway, we're gonna have to leave it there. Eugene Robinson, Hugh Hewitt, as always, thank you very much for <laughs> coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.